Okay, everyone. Good evening. Thank you for joining this week's Parsha Shoftim, Parsha My Life class. Anybody that would like to sponsor for a birthday, for a yard site, for anniversary, for anything lovely and wonderful, please let me know. Um, we can still take this year. Um, yes, thank you. So important. Sometimes people send for a sponsorship a few weeks in advance. They're very, very, very... Um, on top of things and think ahead of time, but I'm very uh, not here in time and space. <laughs> so, and I don't have a good uh, secretary's, uh, secretarial uh, work over here. So sometimes it just remains me. And if you send me a few weeks before and I'm, you tell me to remember that day, I would ask you to please send me reminders that you sponsored a class like six weeks ago, which was supposed to be dedicated on this particular day. And I totally forget. So if that happens, I'm just, if you happen to be listening, anybody that has done that, uh, please um, send me the notification a little closer because I'm not one of these people that jot everything down in a calendar and have a beep and a thing and a that. Totally doesn't work for me. So it's just, maybe I need to fix that and I got to work on that, but that's one of the things on the list. (laughs) In any case, but thank you for all those who dedicate and we can use a dedication for tonight's class if anybody would like to dedicate. All right. That being said, we're in the month of Elul. <clears throat> we're thinking of improvement. So let's find something in this parsha that can help us with improvement, becoming a little bit more the way Hashem wants us to be. Because that's what we do in the month of Elul. We try to take stock, make ourselves be the way Hashem wants us to be. Only a little bit. Try to do a lot, doesn't work. A little bit, a little change. Small little change, a little bit of a shift in our being. And we're going to see something very interesting today. That sometimes we should use the highest, most refined, the most abstract, the most removed, the most greatest uh, phenomenon, teachings, and so on and so forth, to affect the most simplest of changes. Related a little bit to what we discussed last week in last week's class, the Monday class, we had a whole class and I was discussing <clears throat> the idea that there are certain teachings that are very abstract and very removed and very high, and they're the ones that when you eat them, you feel hungry. It's like man, man from heaven versus bread from earth. <clears throat> and um, we discussed that what it does is, is that it picks a person up and it, it elevates you to a different plane. And it makes you into a vessel for the unvesselable. That was the idea that we discussed last week, to become a container for something so high and so removed. So I'd like to continue a little bit on that theme and a teaching that will relate to that in this week's Parsha, but very much referring to character change and emotional refinement. So there is an effect this week. There's a lot of mitzvahs. In Parsha Shoftim, there's a lot of mitzvahs. One of the mitzvahs the Torah talks about and towards the end of the Parsha, it talks about going out to war. When there was a war that was necessary, Jews had to fight battles. So there are laws over here in chapter 20 in, in Deuteronomy and Devarim, Perik Chof, Pasuk Yotes, verse number 19. It talks about laying siege on a city. When you lay siege on a city, um, what, you're, what the army is allowed to do when it lays siege on the city. So one of the prohibitions is that many times if you're laying siege on a city, you, you need wood, and the wood is needed in order to build build up whatever it is necessary. Uh, uh, you want to close off a certain 
uh, entranceway, you want to block something, uh, you want to create a little, your wall that you can climb over, a wall that's there already, so you want to create some kind of stairs or whatever it is, I don't know, whatever kind of reason that you need wood for, uh, when, when people are, and therefore, what do you do when you get your wood? You chop down the trees. So the Torah gives a prohibition against ch- chopping down trees. Primarily, we're talking about fruit trees. You're not allowed to chop down any fruit trees. That's the prohibition that it says over here. When you will lay siege on a city, and let's say it's a city that's difficult to conquer, so you're surrounding the city for many days. Because you're waging war on that city. In order to conquer the city. It may not destroy its trees. To lift upon it um, a axe, a machete, a whatever, one of these uh, things. Because, because trees are, are life-sustaining. They give you food. Don't destroy a food, a food source. It's the greatest gift that God has given the world are trees and 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 the earth in general that gives forth vegetation. So God wants us to respect it, even when for whatever reason there is a war going on and it's a justified war. Um, it's a war that God commanded the Jewish people to conquer the land of Israel, for instance. It was a mitzvah, it was a commandment. And yet God says, be careful, don't cut down the trees. And it, the tree, you may not chop down. And then the verse, the pasuk gives a a a, a a a final a final statement over here. Because man is the is the tree of the field that it should come before you in a siege really is a question, and, you, and I'm going to rephrase it that it should make sense, and that's what it means. What it, really, what it means is, are trees, humans, that they should be a part of the, this, this, um, this, uh, this siege? I mean, you, you, the people you want to attack, the people are waging war, and in order to, to achieve the conquest, you have to attack the people that are there. But leave the trees alone. Are the trees human that you should destroy them along with the inhabitants that for whatever reason uh, you need to conquer? Don't touch the trees. That's what the Pasuk says. Now this verse, which paraphrased is read, are trees people that you should um, include them in the siege the way the way I read it to you is the way what it means, but that's not the way it's stated. When it is read the way it is stated, it's read as follows: because people are trees. In other words, it it seems to imply that humans are trees. Really, you know, as you're learning the whole context, you understand that it's not saying that; it's saying the opposite. Are trees humans? But the Hebrew reading of it. The Torah's reading, we have to realize, even though the Torah in general means something, if the Torah, a certain idea, but if the Torah phrases it with certain words, it has multiple meanings. And over here, the Torah phrased it in this way where it could be read because a human is a tree. So this idea that a human is a tree, we know is very important in Judaism. 
For instance, we celebrate the 15th day of Shabbat, in which we, it's, the, it's the holiday for trees. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's Rosh Hashanah for trees. And we celebrate it very personally. In addition to eating, the, it's a custom to eat the fruits of trees. It is also something which we identify because we see it also as our holiday. In many ways, we compare people to trees, especially education. Just like a tree grows, so too there's the, we learn out so many elements of education from a tree and the like. There's a lot to derive in the similarity between a person and a tree. The sages make um, an interesting statement regarding. First of all, there is a safri. Safri is a type of midrash, a commentary by the sages on the Sefer Devarim. So the sages ask the question, why is the person compared to the tree? So the, the, the answer the Safri gives is that since the main staple of the person's diet, the main uh, living life source food that comes to the person is from trees, that's why it says the person is a tree. Because if you're eating vegetation, you're eating fruits, you're eating from trees, then you are a tree, you are what you eat. And that in that way, we can say the person is like a tree because our main sustenance are trees. And even though the question is, vegetation and, and fruits especially are not the main, not necessarily the only diet of, of people. We can also eat, and it's kosher, which means it's accordance to God's will. We can also eat animal products. So why are we then saying that food source for humans are vegetation or from trees? It's also animal products. So the answer to that would be that... Um, the, there is a verse in says in Psalms, in, in uh, Psalm 104, we read it, or we said it on Rosh Chodesh, which was yesterday's and Sunday and on Shabbos. We add that special parak and Tehillim, uh, Psalm, Barchi uh, Nafshi, my soul is praising God or, 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 or thanking, thanking Hashem, blessing God, Barchi Nafshi as Hashem. So there we say, that bread satiates the heart of man. It goes back to last week's class when we discussed about food that causes satiation, makes you feel full, makes you feel satisfied. So the, the Pasuk says that it's bread, bring a contrast that we discussed last week, bread from heaven did not leave you satiated, but at least bread from earth does leave you satiated. In that sense, a person is not satisfied without Without the carbs, it's always that way. My wife always wants to put me on these these fancy schmancy diets. She's always saying, "Okay, let's do paleo. Let's do uh, I don't know another. What is the other one? Uh, a keto." And I survive for for ten days, and then I'm already stealing everything else. That's that's I need carbs. I I, I must have come some carbs. I can't care. Doesn't work for me. Just meats. And and stuff doesn't work. I, I, I feel like my head is like not clear. I need I need I need carbs, whatever. Okay, so whole whole grain carbs better than the white stuff and the sugary stuff. Agreed. But carbs are important. Well, the the the, the Alter Rebbe Rishner Zalman of the Yadi in Sefer Lekutetar says that even though we eat other like meats and other foods, but the what the the only food that's really Soed, what really brings satiation. I think there's a Rashi that way also in 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 um, Pasha's uh, Vayera. Rashi says when angels 
when Avram Avinu said to the angels, Vesadu Lipchem, he gives them bread and he says, and satiate your hearts. And he and he Rashi brings over there that from that both in all three parts of scripture, Torah, Nevi'im, Miksuvim, it states clearly that satiating the heart, meaning making a person feel, you know, um, satisfied from food, uh, is not from meat. It needs you need to have some some breads, some of the grains, or some of the. So in that sense, we can say that even though we food nourishment and food sources are from other things as well, but we blame it primarily on. But 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 the, the reason why the Torah says the tree is the is is the human is a tree because that's the ultimate food source for the person. Since amongst the vegetation, the tree is the most impressive. It's the tallest. It's the highest. It's it exhibits the quality of growth of vegetation more than other low low typing uh, you know vegetation vegetables that grow on the ground or various different grains that are from the ground. The trees grow up high, so that's why it's like almost like the king of the of the vegetation, and therefore we attribute human life to the tree. So even though most of our nourishment won't te- won't come from fruits, we grow on trees will come primarily from grains. It will actually fit better if we say what the, what, what it says. Um, the sages say that wheat is a type of a tree. Now, since wheat is very important in the human diet, wheat flour and the like, so um, it would make sense to say that um, the main nourishment of a person is from the tree. Okay, so that's a statement that says in Sifri. According to that, the comparison of a person to a tree is not because the person is a tree, but humans are humans, trees are trees, but because we are sustained by the trees and by vegetation in general, for that reason, a person is called a tree. The Talmud, however, gives an, an, asks this question, gives another answer. The Talmud, this is in Tractate Mesechtas Tainus, Dav Zayan, the seventh uh, a, a page in Masechtas Tainas says a story like this, an interesting story. Amalei Rabbi Yirmiya and Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Yirmiya and Rabbi Zera. Okay, Rabbi Yirmiya is talking to Rabbi Zera. These are two of the um, Talmudic sages. And he says, Leisa Marlis, tell me, tell me something. Teach me a teaching. Rabbi Yirmiya is asking Rabbi Zera, teach me a good teaching. Teach me a Mishnah. Teach me a halachic teaching. My heart is weak. Simply, it means I'm exhausted now. I just don't have the mental energy or the ability because of my weakness of my heart to be able to strain myself and teach you a, a solid teaching. Okay, he's not feeling well. He's not, he's feeling weak, he can't teach. So he tells him, okay, he doesn't get, he doesn't let him off the hook. He says, I get it. So tell me some midrashic teaching. Tell me simply it means tell me something a little lighter. Understand to go into a deep halachic discourse and to explain that takes a lot of a lot of like intense study, a lot of intense brain brain energy. But I'm, I'm not, you know, I want something a little lighter. Teach me like some midrashic teaching. So that he he yielded to him and he said, This is what Rabbi Yechanan says. So Reb Zeira is now teaching a teaching in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. And he brings this verse, that man is a tree, is a tree of the field. 
What kind of statement is that? Are is a human a tree? But rather, there is something in which a human is compared to the tree. It says in our again in our verses. We just read this verse where it says, "Don't cut off the tree because you eat from the tree, and therefore do not sever the tree. Don't 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 cut cut down a tree." Now, in the next verse, which I didn't read to you, I'm going to go back to the pasuk, and in verse number twenty, it brings the a second. Uh, the, the next verse it says, However, a tree that you know that it is not a fruit fruit tree. If you know 100% that this tree is a barren tree, it doesn't produce fruits. I say, these trees you can cut down. Uh, you can. Obviously, not for no reason at all. But if you need the wood for whatever it is, in the case over there where they needed it for the war, for the sake of the of, of winning the war, they needed the trees. So you can only cut down the non-bearing fruit trees. You can build this 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 um, siege on the city. Anyways, so that's the, the the verse. So Rabbi Yochanan says, the reason a human is called a tree is because by the tree we see two verses. One place it says, don't cut the trees. Trees are very special. And then in the next verse it says, you could cut down the tree. You should destroy the charata, you can chop it down. So there it says you shouldn't chop it down, here it says you should chop it down. So which one is it? And the answer is, it's clear in the verse. If it's a tree that bears fruit, you can't chop it down. And if it's a tree that doesn't bear fruit, eh, it's not worth anything, you can chop it down. So Rabbi Yochanan says, that's the lesson of why a human being is compared to a tree. Because the human being is referring, in particular in this case, we're talking about a scholar. And we say like this. So which one? How does it work? Cut or don't cut? Chop or don't chop? If this tree, which is the human, is the tree. But what kind of human are we talking about? A scholar. If this scholar is an appropriate scholar, from him you should eat. You should not chop him down. And if he's not an appropriate scholar, you say you can you, you should destroy him, the us and cut him down. Doesn't mean that we should go chopping down people that are scholars and they're not that that uh, perfect. It means, as Rashi says, uh, the tree, a scholar that produces fruit. Let's understand that for a moment. If he is an appropriate scholar, that means that not only is he a computer, but the, the, the knowledge that he has has refined him as a human being. The person is a refined human being. You see, his character, his character traits are more refined. The Torah that he learns, the, the knowledge that he learns has elevated his character and elevated his emotions. And he's a sensitive, kind human being, a good person, kind or whatever, but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good human being. And that's the idea of it being a fruit tree. A fruit means he's pr- fruit means pr- producing. When we say production, we don't only mean one level of production is he's teaching others. That's one thing. But but on a deeper level, it inspires his emotions, and he has refined emotions, refined character traits. And as a result of that, he does a lot of good deed. 
He does a lot of good actions. He does a lot of mitzvahs. His actions match his, his knowledge. Oh, such a person, don't cut him down, which means hang, hang around this individual. Go connect to this person, study with him, learn from him, and so on and so forth, with him or from her. However, if it's a person who just is, you know, the scientist and has a lot of knowledge in his head, and maybe he's a Torah scientist and has a lot of, a lot of Torah knowledge, very scholarly, but he's not productive as a human being. The Torah hasn't taught him anything. He remains coarse and vulgar and lowly and, and not, and not refined. So then you should cut him down means, you know, Rashi says, keep away from him. You know, it, it, this person's knowledge is, is, is poisonous. You know, just keep away. Don't, don't, don't hang around that individual. So that's what we learn now. That's, that's the answer. And this was the teaching Rabbi Zaira said, Rabbi Zaira, who had the weak heart, said um, to Rabbi Yermio. This was the teaching. And this is an explanation on the tree, on the human being a tree. So what do we see over here? Number one, we see the Gemara takes this verse very seriously. That we're not just connecting a human to a tree because the human sustenance comes from the tree. But rather the Talmud is seeing that the person himself is the tree. We're using the tree as this, the person is a tree. And on that the Gemara asks, you see from the, even from the Gemara's question, is, is the tree the person? And what's the Talmud's answer? Yeah, the tree is the person because... We have a parallel between a tree and a person. A, a tree um, bears fruit. So to the person, that means the whole good of the tree is that it gives fruits. And if the tree without the fruits is not that important. So too, a scholar that doesn't, that doesn't flow into good deeds and refined character traits and emotions, then, uh, you know, it's, it's not, not worth that much. That's the idea. What we need to understand there is a few things. Number one, we need to understand uh, just in general, what's this whole idea that this was the teaching that Reb Zera was able to say when he had a weak heart? Well, simply you can say, he just asked him for something light and he needed something light. This is not too of a difficult teaching. It's a pretty simple thing that any person can understand. A layman can understand a simple individual, not only a more sophisticated uh, student. Everybody understands that it's important for a human being to refine their character traits. And that's a comparison between a human and a tree. Everybody understands that a tree is mainly um, special when it produces fruit. It's a whole different level tree. So it's a simple teaching. So this kind of a teaching he was able to teach even if it's, even, even in a weakened state. Again, anybody that suffices with superficiality, this is a great answer. Simple. But we want to go a little deeper. What does he mean he had a weak heart? A deeper meaning in a weak heart. And why is the why did he tell him, okay, if you have a weak heart, then give me some, give me some agada, give me some midrash teaching. Is that just because it's easier to learn midrash, or is there perhaps a little remedy on the We're going to see. Maybe it's the remedy for the weak heart. That's what we're and then, which teaching did he teach from all the midrashic teachings? You know how much midrashim there are in the Torah. There's like. <laughs> There is so much midrash. From all the teachings, he picked this one. Rabbi Yochanan's teaching about the, the comparison of the person and the tree. So we're soon going to see that it is very relevant. It's not just a random. That's number one, I want the connection. Number two, um, the idea that 
a person has certain similarities to trees is not something that is only in this what the Talmud tells us over here. There are many things we find. First of all, you find earlier in the Torah already that a righteous person is called a tree. When um, the Torah tells us um, where Moshe instructs the spies to go up to the land and to check out the land, to scout out the land, he tells them, go look at all the cities and see if there has a, if Hayesh by eights, if there is there a tree. And he says in the singular. So Rashi explains what he meant was, is there a righteous individual there living in the in ancient Canaan, in the land of Canaan, that will, that will uh, protect the inhabitants? Check if there's anybody they can lean on spiritually to be their, their, their protector. And actually Job was living in the land of Canaan, but Job had died then, a little bit before the Jews entered. There's a whole article of lived. According to one opinion, he was living in the Canaan during the time when the Jews were in Egypt. He was in Canaan. He was one righteous individual living over there. But in any case, he passed away before. Some say Job never lived. The whole thing is only metaphorical. But whatever it is, that's an explanation. You see that, uh, that, that the concept that a righteous person or a person is called a tree. Um, now, in Mishnah, in Ethics of the Fathers, you have much comparison between a person and a tree. The Mishnah teaches that the Mishnah talks about that a tree that has a lot of roots and maybe doesn't have so many branches, but it has strong roots, such a tree is going to endure. But trees that are, you know, maybe very big and impressive with a lot of a lot of branches and twigs and a lot of hanging um, foliage and 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 greenery. A beautiful, beautiful tree. A really beautiful, beautiful tree. But if there is a little, small, and and, and, and weak roots, the tree will topple over. Even a small little wind, a little storm comes, and these trees topple over. So the Mishnah from here derives that a person that has, if you have, if you have, if your deed, if your deed, your good deeds exceed your wisdom, then that's considered that you have a lot of good roots because this, the, 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 the deed is, goes in the ground. That's the more earthy behavior of a person where the person touches earth. Uh, the, 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 the more impressive higher part of the tree where all the, all the leaves and fruits and foliage and all that kind of stuff, that's up high and that's what gets all the attention. And that's referring to more the glamorous element of the person, the person's wisdom, the person's knowledge and all that kind of thing. So the Mishnah says it's very important to have good roots, which means to have more um, deed than, than that, that always a person should do more than they know. Not to have a lot of knowledge and do a little bit. That's not good. And a little wind will knock the person out. So you see, that's one example. There's other examples. So we see in the Talmud and the Gemara that there is, that, that there is a lot of comparison between a human and a tree. Yet the Talmud knows that. Yet the Talmud asks what? Ki Adam is a person a tree? Why does the Talmud ask the question? Is a person a tree? Even though the Gemara knows there is similarity. Because the fact that a human being is compared, now there are certain traits that a human has that's similar to a fish. 
And there are certain traits that a human has that can be similar to a bird. And there are certain traits that a person has that can be similar to an angel. The Talmud says there are three things that a person is like an angel, three things a person is like an animal. And if we really want to get into it and find metaphors, we can find many things. And yet we don't call a person a fish, and we don't call a person an angel, we don't call a, a person as a person. So the fact that there are similarities in which we can connect a person to a tree doesn't make a person a tree. Because there is there's a lot of side things to a person, and then there is the core essence of who you really are. And what is the main essence of a human being? Is a human. And therefore, a human is human, and a tree is a tree. What the Talmud was asking, this is important, what the Gemara was asking, you have to say, is that if the if the verse says that the man that man is a tree of the field gives a positive identification of a human to a tree, it's because it's not that a person has certain things that he's compared to a tree, but that the primary element of the human is the tree. On that, the Talmud says, why? And why is a human a tree? So what's the Talmud's answer? The Talmud gives you another element in which a person is compared to a tree just like a tree is only uncuttable you're not allowed to, according to Torah you're not allowed to cut down a tree only if it has fruits but if the tree that doesn't have fruits you're allowed to chop it down so too a scholar who has good deeds and fine character he's a hugun he's an appropriate scholar yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that, that tree should last another one in. Eh. So what do you do now? You found me another another thing that we can compare a person to a tree, another metaphor from a tree. But how does that fundamentally explain why a human is a tree? Once we understand that the Talmud's question had to be deeper, then, then, then again we don't understand what the answer is. What's the question and what's the answer? From the question we see that the Talmud was asking a deeper question. Why is the core characteristic of the person a tree? So how is that answered by telling me that if person is the scholar has good deeds, then it doesn't seem to answer. The other thing that's problematic is if there's a human as a tree, not just a scholar, the Talmud's answer is only applying to what type of human being? A scholar, a rabbi. The person is a scholar, the person is a teacher, the person is a... Some someone with a lot of knowledge. So that person, you should know, you gotta look at their character traits. You gotta see how they are in terms of a human being. Don't judge only their knowledge. Judge the person as a whole. Not judge, but look at a person as a whole. And if they're worthy, then you should connect to them as a whole. So yeah, but then you're only talking about a scholar, not just about every human. Okay. Then the, the last question is. Is there some kind of a connection between the previous explanation from the Sifri, the Midrashic explanation, which we said, the person is the tree because we are what we eat and we are trees because we eat trees. We eat the fruits from trees. That's the main diet as we discussed earlier. And is there a connection between the fact that what the Talmud says over here, that only a fruit tree is deserving to stand. And that's the comparison to why the person is a tree. Are the two related or is there no connection? And again, I want to emphasize the first question that we asked. What's this whole story of Reb Zero at a weak heart? And why was the teaching, the teaching that he taught was this teaching? Okay, so to answer all these questions, we'll get a little bit of a deeper understanding. This is from what I'm teaching you now. You can learn it on your own from Lakuti Sikhs Chelek Dalit. 
from the fourth volume of the Rebbe's, Lubavitch Rebbe's teachings. Beautiful, beautiful talk. Um, simple, but very, very fundamental and very important. And he explains the whole idea as follows. We know that a human being is called a small world, olam kata. Since the human being is the purpose of all of creation, so that's why the human being contains with him or herself all aspects of creation. There is a midrash that says that everything that exists in the world exists in the human. There are forests in the world, there are forests in a person. What's the forest in the person? That's your hair. That's a forest. Full of growth. It's a lush forest. A jungle. And um, there is rivers. The rivers are your bloodstream, for example. There is the ocean, and there is the this, and there is the that. It goes through everything. All parts of the human symbolize, and they have within themselves somewhat of the characteristics of all aspects in creation. All elements in the world. Because God put everything into the person. The reason is because the person needs to affect all of creation, all of existence through his or her choices. We choose good, we elevate the entire world. We choose the opposite, we pull down the all of world, all of the world. So the human is a microcosm of all of existence. Everything is inside us. Primarily, we know in the world there are four types of life or four types of yeah, four types of creatures. There is domain, the inanimate, like stones and other, um, other. Uh, what was I looking for? What was the word I'm looking for? Uh, hmm? No, inanimate, but I'm looking for something. Stones and um, what do you call them? You say different metals. They have one, one general world for, word for them. No, I forgot right now. It slipped my head. Okay. Um, what are they? No, what are they? There's all different types of this metal, this steel, this gold. There's uh, what are they called? There's a word for it. Huh? No, not elements. They're all within one kind of element. They're all. Um, oh, I don't know why it's slipping my head. Okay. The 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 the. Uh, okay, so that's one type of life. It's what we we don't see any life, but and then there is. And then there is the then there is plants, the trees, and so forth, vegetation, and then there is animal, and then of course there is human. So human contains with within within the human being contains within themselves within his or herself, the inanimate, the the tzomeach, the plant, and the animal. They're all there within the human. Um. What are they within the human? Where do you have inanimate and plant? So we're not going to go through all of them. We're particularly going to focus on vegetation because that's the important one today. What is the plant life in the human being? The plant in the human is the part of the person that grows more than anything else. Number one, a human is a growing physical creature. Physically, we grow. We start off very small and we grow like a, like a plant. So we have that vegetative entity Within our, within our bodies. But over here we're talking more on a soul level, more psychologically, more makeup, more of the inner world, the inner human being, the powers of a being, of the person. What makes up the, veg, the, veg, the plant element within the, psycho, the, the, the psychological makeup of the human being? 
the part of us that grows and matures more than anything else and continuously grows and in which we can see the most development than in any other part of a person is in their emotions. The emotions are in a state of growth and fluctuation. First of all, every emotion, every feeling, our likes and dislikes, our dreams and aspirations and things like that. These things, first of all, an emotion can be very small. You have a small little affinity towards something, a small little draw to something. And then you can get closer to it by appreciating it more and more and more and more until you become completely obsessed and attached to something. You can't stop thinking about it and connecting to it. So your emotion grows. That's a particular emotion. But also on the more general level of one's emotions. When we're very, very young, our emotions are very, very immature and very indeveloped. They're very, very uh, unaffected by the higher power of the person, which is their intelligence. So the emotions are very constricted, very lowly, very dark, dark emotions. As we grow older, and hopefully growth over here means pursuing the right path, um, developing ourselves as becoming a better human being. And that has to do, of course, with the expansion. The navigation is through our mind. The inlet of the light and the illumination, and which can enables us to grow, just like a plant needs a lot of light. The light is the light of the intelligence that has to shine on the plant. But the, the progress is really got to look at the emotions and see where are the emotions. If I still have the same likes and loves and passions when I am 30 years old, the same passions like I had when I'm six years old, there's a very, very big problem. In, the human, in, the, in this human being's development. A human being should be when they're 30 in a far more developed state. And as you mature to your 40s, to your 50s, to your 60s, 70s, you should grow in terms of your, your emotions. You should have a far more refined set of emotions in which you're, you want to help people, brings you the biggest satisfaction. You want to do good for the world. You want to make impact in, 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 in making a, a positive effect on people's lives and so on and so forth. And that becomes something that you like. You know, if you remain still completely attached to the very, um, just to the physical gratifications and you don't develop within yourself an excitement for more spiritual matters, that's remaining a little baby. So the real growth of a human being and the, the measurement of how much a person developed themselves is not how big of a mind you have. Because it's possible for a person to have very, very big intelligence. But if their intelligence doesn't affect their emotions and their excitements and their passions are still utterly silly, ridiculous, and attached and in a very immature way, even if they have super big brains, even in a human being, imagine a human being has an inflated head. Their head is like three quarters of them is their head. And then they have a tiny little torso and a tiny little, but their whole being is like it, it, the person doesn't look even doesn't even have a human look. The human look is that the head is a small part of the body. It's on the top of the body, and the rest of the body, which takes up makes the main standing of the person. So even though the main highest feature and faculty and power within the human being is the mind, and that's the human in the human, 
or perhaps within the mind, as we're soon going to see, there is the animal in the mind and the human in the mind, two levels of intelligence within the intelligence, within the, uh, but as important and as great as that is, that's not where you measure and you want to see the achievement of a person's growth. The growth of the person, which is what growth is, the plant, the plant is what grows, to see if this is a tall tree, someone who has grown a lot, not physically, but grown a lot spiritually, psychologically, mentally, emotionally in their life, the development of a human being as a human and growing as a human is where have the emotions gone? Where is a person holding in the refinement of their emotions, of their characteristics, and so on and so forth? So if your aspirations, your dreams, the things you are passionate about are matching where your mind is at, what you appreciate as real and what is true and what is great, as you advance in your intelligence, your emotions advance along with it, that is an advanced human being and that is a refined human being. And that is the purpose of, that is the purpose of the intellect. So it comes out an interesting thing. The, in, the intelligence, the intellect within the person is superior to the emotions. But the purpose of the intelligence is to elevate the emotions. And if the head just runs off on its own and disconnects from the rest of the human being, then the head is not a head. Then the head does not has not been so the human yeah the the quality of the human being is that the human being is an intelligent being, but the question over the objective of that quality is to elevate and refine the emotions. Is that the emotions of the of the human being should become equal or higher and higher, at least aspiring more and more and more and getting closer and closer. To what to 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 the higher uh, to the higher understanding of a human being, and then a human being becomes a higher person. The entire person is elevated to being in a higher plane and a higher place. And according to that, we understand now, because the person is the tree, which means the tree element, the the plant element, the vegetation element, which is within the human being, is the most crucial part of the person, which is the intelligence. The litmus test of the intelligence, if it's true intelligence, is if it elevates the emotions. As as we know, in order for Torah, for instance, we're talking about holy intelligence, which is Torah, the value of Torah is if the person who studies the Torah is, is, is 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 an elevated human being. If the person who studies the Torah remains a very, a very, a very unrefined human being and, and lowly in their character and, and has negative character traits and is always fighting with everybody and is angry and has a temper and is in a constant state of and is a very lustful person and so on and so forth and doesn't refine themselves, that's a problem. So that's a weakness in their intelligence, not just a flaw in their emotions. But it's, in a, it's a flaw in the intelligence. Even though they might win a debate and their power of their mind is very, very strong, but that's not the objective of the intelligence. It must come down and impact and influence the emotions. There's actually a verse. You see that in Torah. When God says the highest form of intelligence is the knowledge of God. So when Hashem speaks about a holy intelligence, 
Hashem says, Ki Adam, the Pasik says, you should know today, you should take it to your heart. We say it every day in Aleinu, but it's a verse in the Torah. I think in Pashas Veschanan, we read it a few weeks ago. The Adaita Yom, you should know today. What you should know? You should gather knowledge of God. Know Ki Hashem Elokim. Know that God is God. Know that God is only. Talking about divine knowledge. But what is the good of it? It's not supposed to stay up here. It's got to come down here. You got to build a bridge from the head to the heart. Because a lot of times the heart is in conflict with the mind. A person's emotions and drives and wants could be to very dark stuff. Even if they have a beautiful mind, but then the mind is not beautiful. If the mind doesn't um, channel its knowledge into the heart, and when we say heart, the heart is where we mean the emotions. The emotions have to connect to the intelligence. They have to be synchronized. Not, com- not necessarily the heart can be lagging behind a little bit, but the, la- the, the, the mind has to constantly be pulling the heart higher and higher and higher. So maybe after 10 years of higher studies, you turn around and you look at yourself and you realize you're not the same person you were. The stuff that were that got you upset 10 years ago are not upsetting you these days. You don't care about these things. You're caring of a far more meaningful life. And therefore, the, the, your, your, your excitement, what excited you then, silly things, could have gotten you very excited. Today, it's okay. It's not, it's not that you don't, it's, me, it's nothing. Maybe it's maybe a little bit enjoyable, but it's not your excitement. And it's not your passion. And it's not your fire. Why is it not your fire? It's not your fire because the mind, the mind with its greater understanding has elevated and, 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 and transformed and brought the heart closer to the mind. So now let's go back and let's understand, or for a moment, go back and analyze what the Talmud was asking. The question the Talmud was asking, Yes, it's true that a human being has a tree inside of him. We're not talking about trees outside of us. We're talking about the tree inside of us. The human tree, which means human emotions. And human emotions are higher than than animal emotions. And they're higher than the plant. As the, in other words, the plant that exists within the human is higher than the plant that's outside. The plant that's outside is, is, is very physical. The plant that's within the human is a human emotion, which is a far more impressive plant. It's a higher plant. And it's fantastic. But the Talmud is asking, since the, what makes the human the human is the intelligence and not your emotions, so why are we then praising the person by being a plant, by being a tree? Why are we calling a person a tree? Is that what makes the quality of a human a human? Is the greatness of a human their emotions? That's the question. That's the deeper question. And let's make it even stronger. We know within the Hebrew um, language, there are four words used to describe a human. Four words. A person can be called sometimes enosh, Sometimes a person is called Gever. Sometimes a person is called Ish. And the fourth one is Adam. Four words, Hebrew words, that mean a human. And the highest name for the human being is Adam. 
If that's the case, so the emotions and the character elements within the human being, they're not the Adam. If anything, they are being that's part of the human. It's the gever in the human. It's the ish in the human, but not the Adam in the human. When the Torah says, ki Adam it doesn't say ki ish ki Adam, which means the most complimentary thing that we can say about the human is the name Adam. And we're calling that a tree? That's the question. And the answer is yes. Because the most highest element in the human is the supreme intelligence that God has grifted a human being. But the intelligence is good for nothing if it's not, impl- if it's not influencing the emotions. It must go down into the emotions and it must elevate the emotions. And that's what the Talmud is answering. The Talmud says, when you have a scholar, and that's why we're emphasizing scholar, because the scholar is the person who is, who is most developing the human of the human. As we said before, the human of the human is the intelligence. That's the Adam. The scholar is the Adam. So he is the human of the humans. As all humans are humans, but within humans, those that have a, 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 a extra oomph in their intelligence. So that's like the epitome of Adam, of the human. But the epitome of human is not a, a disconnected scientist who, whose intelligence has absolutely zero to do with his personal moral and ethical behavior. We're saying, no, 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 no. That if the scholar, he could be a great scholar, but if the scholar if the scholar is not is not is not appropriate, what does it mean appropriate? His behavior, which is based on his emotional character traits, are not. So he's like a tree that doesn't bear fruits. That's karate, you can cut it down. There's no value to it. But if the person is a person whose tree does produce fruit, if the scholar is a scholar who is hagun, which means matching their intelligence of refined emotions, refined passions, refined drive, refined um, 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 uh, discipline, or everything that comes along with an elevated mind. You have an elevated heart as well. And as a result of that, it leads the person to be active, doing good deeds, to care a lot about people, to help people, to do a lot of good in the world. So that person is that, then the mind, then the person is another. Based on this, we can also already now connect this explanation to the explanation we said it before, that the person is called an Adam, because the, the explanation of the Safri, which said that a person is called Adam because of the food that they eat, because their main diet is from the tree. The the, the, the Talmud and the Midrashic statement are talking the same thing, but one is speaking in the bigger world and the other one is speaking in the small world. The Talmud is addressing the tree and the person inside the person, the human tree and the human and the human human, and the the so in more in the micro, and the Safri is talking in general, in the bigger world, where the trees are trees and the human is human. And here's the idea. Why is the person sustained by a tree, by fruit, by vegetation? In general, we look and we see that human beings are sustained by by entities that are lower than the human. All food 
come from things that are low, whether it's animal or plant. We eat the animal and the plant, and through the eating of the animal or plant, what happens? We get sustenance. So the question is asked, and we discussed this many times, if a human is higher than them, they, the human should be giving life to the animal, and the animal should be giving life, life to the plant, not vice versa. We find that the lowest things are really more life-sustaining than the higher things. The greatest master of life is the earth. The earth gives all life. And the earth supports the vegetation. Vegetation supports animals and people. And people and animals support people, right? Each one. So the human seems to be the weakest. But on the other hand, the human is the highest. And the answer is both are true. So let's explain that really the source, the source of whatever is lower in this world comes from a spiritual higher source. So animals in their spiritual source are higher than humans. And trees, vegetation, since it's even lower, comes even from a higher godly source. So here we have a very interesting interaction between person and, 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 and plant, between the person and the tree. As we exist in the, in the, in the, most, in the final expressed state, the tree, the human is higher than the tree. You look at a tree. Tree is just a tree. And a human has all the qualities that a human has. But once the human eats the tree, which means eats the fruits and so on and so forth, then what happens? The tree elevate, uh, sustains the person, including what? Including the human mind. Because if we don't eat, our mind becomes weak. That means that the, the vegetation strengthen the mind and elevate the mind. And the, why is that? Because the trees have a higher source. And since the trees spiritually have a higher source than the human, they can elevate even the human mind to a higher place. So just like it is in the bigger world, the relationship between human and tree. Human is higher, tree is lower, plant is lower than the human. But once the human picks up the tree from its lower state, the tree rises and elevates the human. The same is also in the small internal world. Our emotions are much lower than our, than our intellect. And the emotions need polishing. The emotions need elevation. The emotions on their own are unrefined. They're lowly. But refined emotions lead a person to higher levels than the intellect themselves. The same ideas we spoke earlier. We said earlier that the purposes of all intelligence, it has to get to the heart. Not only it's the litmus test of the mind, if the mind was true knowledge that it reaches the heart, but also because the emotions are rooted in the deeper part of in the more emotions are rooted in the deeper human and the essence of the human soul deeper than our intelligence. When our emotions are brought along by the intelligence and elevated by the intelligence, then they turn around and they elevate the intelligence. They're sustaining to the intelligence. So the person becomes more person through the tree inside of it. You become more godlike. Okay. Now let's take this all. So now we see the relationship between the two explanations, the Talmud's explanation and the explanation of the Safri, because both of them are parallel. Both of them are speaking about the the interaction between tree and human within 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 one of them in the bigger world and one of them within within ourselves. Now let's take this the the this Talmudic to even a step deeper. 
and something really magnificent. And the idea is now, which is as follows. When we say that the human being includes within him or herself all elements of life, inanimate, plant, animal, and human, we don't only mean that the human has emotions, for instance, and the emotions are the intel- are, are the plant. When we say the human includes them all, since the main characteristic of the human that makes human unique is the intelligence, so now we're gonna now we're gonna make even a, a more exclusive level. And we're gonna say like this that the intelligence itself of the human being includes all four things. Get it? It's not just that a human has four different powers and then the plant is emotion, but rather, no, we're talking about intelligence. The intelligence itself has the inanimate of the intelligence, the emotions of the intelligence, the animal of the intelligence, And it has the intelligence of the intelligence. Now, when we when when we call Adam Adam, as we said earlier, we call there are four names to call a human being, and the highest name of the human being is to call the human being Adam. The Adam is referring to of the intelligence which means in intellect itself we can we can we can speak of two levels of intellect there's one level of intelligence which lends itself into the emotions it inspires the emotions it guides the emotions it directs the emotions and then there is a level of intelligence that's pure pure intelligence and um like we find in Torah study, for instance. Sometimes you can study certain parts of Torah which are focused on character refinement. I'll give an example. One can study the studies of, of ethics, of Musar. The study of ethics is directly here. It's an intellectual study. It's something you have to understand with your mind. But its primary open, revealed objective is to deal with a person's character traits, to help you refine yourself. In Hasidic teaching itself, going outside of the realm of Musr, in the teachings of the more esoteric, in the Hasidic teachings, one can identify that there are certain Hasidic teachings that are particularly discussing the human condition and the behavior and the refinement of the human soul and how to elevate one's heart, how to change your emotions. How to, you know, look at yourself and see the flaws and see what and which areas we need to help. A lot of the discourses in Hasidus during the time of Rosh Hashanah, the month of Elul, in, Has- in Hasidic terminology, they are referred to as Avoidamaymarim. These are discourses that are meant to help you do self-refinement. Avodamamar. Which means that this is in- intellect, but it's the level of intelligence that is closer to the emotions because it's meant, its objective is to deal with the emotions and with the character. 
let's call that concrete concrete intelligence intelligence that's very much close to concrete life and then there's a different level of intelligence it's called abstract intelligence and that is when the intelligence is dealing with extremely lofty and abstract and distant realities where the subject matter has nothing to do with your behavior it has nothing to do with your character it's dealing with the truths of the divine as they exist in its all of its infinity and its endless boundless distant and in hasidic study there is a lot of that very very deep deep study where someone can sometimes ask like what does this have to do with my personal life when you study it the objective is to get lost in an infinite truth that's bigger and beyond you and a point where you don't even exist you're just melting into this higher expanse of the infinite the higher knowledge it, so when we talk about pure intelligence that's what we mean pure intelligence that's the adam of the adam the pure 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 intelligence for the sake of intelligence which has nothing to do with me my life my choices what i like what i dislike it's just totally beyond me it's pure intelligence not intelligence that it's focused on what i should choose in my life what should i do what, what, what should i pursue what is good for me that's already intellect that is relates to the emotions a guide to life intelligence that's a guide to life so the lower level of the intelligence is meant to influence the emotions it's the intelligence so of course we say to a person you need to work on if you have a you have a mind god wants you to refine your your emotions become a better person work on yourself fine but here's the question god didn't just give us a mind the lower intelligence hashem gave and gives people a higher intelligence an abstract mind and the ability to study on the highest 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 most removed levels so the question is this is what the talmud is saying kia adam etsasad is the elements of adam is this absolute pure intelligence that is so high so removed so disconnected from is that all about your tree is that all about your emotional development should it even have any relationship with your emotions or what makes the real quality of human human is that the higher it is the this in this sense you could be almost like a, a celestial being who knows god knows hashem and it's since it's totally beyond your your behavior because it's not about us it's about something beyond maybe it has nothing to do with with me as a person me as my personal behavior the talmud is answering and, and the question is that's an adam that's the real adam in other words in the intellect itself i understand the ish element of the adam ish is is more emotion but it doesn't mean emotion it means intellect that relates to emotion i'll give you an example that's why we say a proof to this rather than an example we say that until a child is 13 they're not called an ish the reason we can't you know include someone in a quorum in a minion when you need 10 10 males to daven a child that's younger than 13 can't be included because he's not called an ish why 
because he hasn't developed his mind yet to be strong enough to guide his emotions. Ish is the intel in the word. I'm going to make this up right now, but I think it says it has to say. But I, right now, I don't remember seeing it specifically. Yud in the word ish is chachma. Yud is chachma. It's the intelligence. The rest of the word is ish. Ish is fire. That's the emotions. So it's as the yud, the chachma, the intellect guides the ish, the fire, the passion of a person. Until when you're a child, you don't have that. You don't have enough intellectual understanding to be able to to be able to refine emotion. And therefore, you can't be re- responsible for your actions as well. Torah does not hold a person responsible until they're bar and, or bas mitzvah. A girl has this maturity a little younger than a boy. A boy needs 13 years old until he develops enough intelligence to be able to guide his, his fire, his emotions. But that's not abstract intelligence. Abstract intelligence doesn't really hit a person what's called motion de godless. Pure, independent intelligence, nothing to do with the emotion. The ability to know just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, a higher knowledge, that I think doesn't reach its maturity until the age of 20. 20 is, has to do with the beard, it has to do with the, the full completion of the emotion, the godless, it's called the great. And that's where the person is called Adam, not Ish. So the question is, Adam eats Asada? Is Adam too the distant, removed intelligence? Is that related to your emotional development? And the Talmud says, yeah. That even, even the most abstract study that you learn, even any, any subject that you learn, anything that we engage in, any type of knowledge, we have to always bring it back down to ask ourselves, how am I going to be after I studied this a little bit different today than I was yesterday? Even if it's not dealing directly with me and with my behavior, it's such an abstract concept. Yet, the Adam is a tree. And where does the Gemara prove it from? What does the Talmud prove it from? The Talmud says that what? Rabbi Yochanan, that's Rabbi Yochanan's question. What does he answer? He says, there's two verses. One of them says you, you can't cut down a tree, and the other one says you could cut down the tree, but hold it. What is it based on if you can cut down the tree, you can't cut down the tree? It's based on if there's fruit or if there isn't fruit. Okay, If it's fruit, you can but hold it. Who's responsible for the fruit? Where is the fruit growing? The fruit grows, doesn't grow. The fruit doesn't grow on the roots. There's no fruit. There's no apples on the roots of a tree. It doesn't even grow on the tree trunk. It doesn't even grow on the main big branches. If a tree has like big main branch, even there, there's no fruit. There are little twigs that come out. And from the little twigs, there is little flowers. And from the flowers, from there grows the fruit. Yet, what are we saying? What do we say? We say like this. We should, we should say and say like this. If there's fruits, then you can't cut down the, the flowers. Or if, let's, let's give it a little extra. If there's fruits, you can't shave off the twigs. If there isn't fruit, cut the twigs off. Cut the flowers off. Flowers that are growing and it's not produced fruit. Who needs the flowers? Twigs that are growing, you don't need that, that, that without, without the branches that are growing, without, without, without the fruit, chop them off. You can use the wood. But the tree trunk, the trunk of the tree, the main stump of the tree, the roots, they should be validated on their own. What do they have to do? They anyways don't produce fruit. The fruit is so removed from them. 
from the from the from the from the roots come the tree, the tree trunk. From the tree trunk come the branches. From the branches come the twigs. From the twigs come the flowers. From the flowers come the fruit. So it's a little, it's a consequence of a consequence of a consequence of a consequence. And yet, what do we say? No fruit, chop the tree off. Who needs the tree? You don't need it. What does that tell you? This concept is an allegory. To the human experience. The fruits are our emotions we discussed earlier. The actions, the fruits that come out out of refined emotions. That's the fruit. The branches, the twigs, or maybe even the branches, refer to what produces. That's the intellect. The intellect that produces the refined emotions. The tree trunk and the roots, that's the pure abstract intelligence. That's the intelligence as it is removed from, from all practical life, practical consequence. It's, it's the world of ideas. It's the world of abstract thinking. Nothing to do with, with, with everyday behavior, with time and space. It's like the big questions in life, the grandiose philosophical discussions. It's the most abstract. That's the tree. And yet, what does the Torah say? If there's not fruit, you can cut the tree off. That's the proof that Rabbi Yochanan is saying that even the Adam, even the highest, most abstract element of human being must influence behavior. Now let's take it a step further. You know why it must influence behavior? Because in truth, there are certain behavioral changes and emotional refinements that can only come from the tree roots or from the tree trunk and not from the branches and not from the twigs. Translated into discussion, what we were talking about, there are certain elevations in a human's, in a human's character and, and that does not come about through the study of disciplines that focus primarily on behavior and emotion, but will only be influenced by a person's pursuit of higher knowledge, independent of behavior, the more you immerse yourself in the higher knowledge, you will see a complete, it should be, unless a person fights it, but if you don't fight it, you will see consequentially a true change in a person's emotions. You will change as a human being. On the most external everyday behavior and everyday you know, uh, a, a test of emotions, it will change when you as a person are changing. And on which level are you changing? In your deepest understanding, philosophical changes. That's having effects on the outside. And in many ways, more effect than when you are reading a self-help book that's directly, that would be a good thing. You know, reading one of these philosophies of how to change and so on and so forth. Actually, the study of this most abstract elements of the divine and so on will have, a, will have an effect. And the reason for that is, Twofold. Really beautiful. The, the Rebbe says something very special. He says twofold. He says, number one, the emotions, when, you know, the, because the, the lower level of the intelligence, which is meant to affect the emotions, since they are bent and they're, they're directed towards emotions, it's intellect for the sake of the emotions, this intelligence is occupied with the emotions is invested in the emotions and therefore very close to the emotions. 
since they're very close to the emotions, the emotions are sometimes stubborn and unyielding to these messages. Quite on the contrary, the emotions sometimes will dig in and become more stubborn because you're trying to change them. It's like with your children. When you try to, when you notice something with your children that you don't like and you hit them head on and you try to change it, so they're going to put up a fight. That's the way it is. People in general are that way. When you try to tell them, you try to fix them by trying to tweak them and tell them what, how, if you tell them and criticize, for sure it doesn't work. But even if you're not criticizing directly, but you're teaching them particularly in that particular area where they're having a hard time, they particularly, they, a lot of times, sometimes a person is soft and is in a state where the, the emotions are willing to be bent and yielded by the information, by the knowledge of the mind. And sometimes the emotions become stubborn, they become indifferent, they become cold, or we call it this way, sometimes you have a what's called a stuffed heart. The heart becomes very arrogant, cold, and, and, and not willing to yield. And quite on the contrary, when it sees that you're trying to change it, it will it, it becomes hardened and more stubborn. And like we find a lot of times, our heart doesn't want to go down where our head is. In our mind, we know this is wrong. I shouldn't be excited about this. I shouldn't be pursuing this. I shouldn't be connected to this. And, I, and you can't let go. As much as your heart tries to tell you. So when a head-on collision doesn't work. A head-on resistance sometimes won't, you know, doesn't, but will not change you, does not influence you. And sometimes can even be the opposite. Sometimes the emotion is so strong, which means your predisposition to a certain, your inclination to be in a certain way is so strong that it can manipulate your mind as well and make you start justifying negative behaviors as well. And then you start rationalizing, which means instead of the heart changing by the mind, the mind starts changing by the heart. And that's the worst of the hurt, the worst. When we start giving all kinds of excuses and all kinds of rational be- uh, explanations for, for, for negative behaviors. But that can only be on the level of the emotion where the emotion is, I'm sorry, of the level of the intellect where the intellect is very close to the emotion. Over there, number one, the heart can resist. Number two, the heart can even sometimes overpower the mind itself and turn the mind to be serving the emotions instead of the emotions guided by the mind. What's the, so what's the, what's the remedy for that? What's the remedy? So it's, it, it works that way with teenagers. It works that way with, with anybody that you want to influence. The best way many times of changing if a person's life is not in a good place, if they're doing things that are really unhealthy or so on, is to not, many times not, I'm not saying always this is the therapy, but with certain people in certain situations, this is the only thing that works. You don't discuss and you don't study and you don't involve yourself at all in any of the issues that they're in. You just take the person under your wing and you start studying and learning with them things. A person that can be in the pits when it comes to certain behaviors. But you, you, you take them and you're studying the deepest teachings of Hasidut. <laughs> Talking about the highest, most spiritual elements. You're opening up a new world of, or just, it doesn't, I'm giving an example of Hasidus because this is the ultimate remedy. But even just taking the person into a world, into another world, into realities, into in educating them and, and 
even while they have certain tendencies and negative behaviors and inclinations and so on, not dealing with that at all. But by feeding them, feeding them and nurturing them with so much good stuff, and they suddenly, like from as a human being, open up to a whole new worldview and start seeing completely different. And it's precisely this higher knowledge and this higher information that picks them up from wherever rut they're in and puts them into a whole different place. And inevitably, without a resistance, they start changing. Most beautiful way to change a person. And it doesn't only have to work with our children, it could also work with ourselves as well. Not always should we fight our negative tendencies and negative unrefined elements of our being head on. A very, very important element is to immerse ourselves in good study. Immersing yourself into holiness, immerse yourself in godliness. Learn the deepest teachings. Dive, delve, join our Thursday night class where we spend three, four hours on the most depth, deepest discourses, literally, you know, doing deep dives into the, into the, into the, in getting to know the, the infinite truths about, about God. And you wonder, I got my, I got so many issues to deal with. Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you learn a little musser with me? You know, give me a little bit, give me a little hard. The answer is you won't, you'll, the emotions will resist that. The emotions, when the intellect starts to mess with the emotions, the emotions will put up a fight. But when the intelligence is not at all dealing with the emotions, it's just purely shining light, a much higher light. And unconsciously, the darkness evaporates and a whole new world opens up and suddenly your excitement is in a whole different place. And, we, and it might take a little while, but you look at yourself two, three years later and you're a complete different human being. And the stuff that were so dark in your life and so poisonous have suddenly, which you couldn't let go of them. Literally, you couldn't let go of them. And suddenly, it just becomes a complete non-entity in your life. It's not, it doesn't exist anymore because you've completely, and you've been uprooted, that's the point. You've been like, like the emo, a complete transportation, a complete shift put into a complete different place. So sometimes the only way to fix your tree, the only way to fix your plant is only through the Adam element, through the, the, the supreme intelligence, when it is in its most supreme state, in its most, in its most, in its most removed state. So both the, the, the value and the virtue of the mind is only if it influences the emotions. And many times the emotions will not be influenced by anything other than the most re- elevated element of the human being, which is the intelligence. The other benefit the Rebbe says that comes from the higher study versus studying things that are more directed towards self-improvement. Okay, what we're talking about over here, sometimes studying, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't study things that are directed on self-improvement, but we shouldn't limit our study towards those things. We should allow ourselves the luxury for opposite of what I spoke on Thursday night when I was talking about so much just learning halacha but now we're saying there is an importance of indulging ourselves in an indulgence of spiritual light and of godly understanding and godly knowledge. And because many times that's the only way that our stubborn animalistic traits will melt. But here's another reason, which I'm going to add right now, one more thing, and that is as follows. The, in, the intelligence that is 
closer to the the concrete intelligence, the intelligence that deals with concrete matters, with behavior, with with life on Earth. Um, even when it does master the the emotions, even when it does take forceful control over the emotions, and yank trends and and works with them and refines them and elevates them and educates them, it's very limited. It can only take an emotion that you have already, a certain tendency, and 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 and, and tweak it, elevate it, put it into a higher place. But it can't completely radically transform your human traits completely. Because since it itself has a relationship with the emotions, it remains within the arena of the emotions. It can brighten them, it can refine them, but will still keep the emotions as they are. The beauty of employing the higher intelligence that has nothing to do with the emotions is, is that when it lifts a person up to a whole other truth, to a deeper truth, to a deeper reality, it causes, as we discussed last week in the class, it has you melt out of yourself completely. So it can completely reshape and reformat your entire being. In other words, it can replace emotions and complete and, 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 and create a whole new persona. Earlier we spoke about the development of who you were, just developing it more. Here we're saying that it can actually completely reformat your entire being in a positive, good way. Make a person from being a human being into a godly being. That radical, complete metamorphosis can only come from the higher intelligence, not from the lower intelligence. And that is very special with the teachings of Hasidut over the teachings of Musa. Um, or in general, Torah we discussed last week, there's two parts to Torah. There is the revealed Torah, which deals with daily living, how to live, how to behave, all the instructions of life. And then there is abstract Torah. There is the the exoteric and the esoteric. The esoteric part of the Torah is this higher knowledge. And sometimes people feel, you know, I'm not ready for the esoteric. You know, the esoteric will learn after Mashiach is here already. Now I still have so many things of self-improvement that I need. Let me stick to the more simple part of Torah. But that's not true. God made you an Adam. Hashem didn't make you only an Ish. He made you an Adam. He bestowed with you a knowledge. And God wants you to explore as high as you can. But you have to remember two things. The highest diving and the highest exploration should impact you as a human being. Don't ever say it's enough that I'm studying and I know the information. No, it's not meant just for the knowledge. It's meant to change you as a person. But also know that sometimes the only thing that's going to change you as a person. And number one, it's on three levels. Number one, it's foolproof. The, the heart will not be able to resist it. Number two, for sure, the heart will not be able to taint it. And number three, it can actually completely radically transform you as an entire person is only the higher knowledge. But these teachings of Hasidus, these messianic teachings, the teachings of the future, it's this most abstract teaching knowledge of the divine that makes this change. Now, based on this, we'll understand quickly 
what happened in the Talmud. Rabbi Yirmiya asks Reb Zera, this is, we're going to conclude with this. Rabbi Yirmiya asks Reb Zera, and he says to him, teach me a teaching, teach me some Torah. Reb Zera says, I have a weak heart. What did he mean? He wasn't just meaning, you know, I, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm a little lethargic, you know, I was up late last night. Um, what he meant what he meant was Torah is meant not just to remain the teaching of the mind, it's meant to refine the character, it's meant to weak to what and I feel a certain dichotomy. I feel a certain disconnect between my mind and my heart. My heart is weak. My heart is not so if I'm gonna teach Torah, I'm gonna be teaching from my head and not from my heart. And that's not Torah. You're not supposed to learn from a teacher whose head is way beyond their heart, that their emotions are not. He says, I can't teach Torah. That's what he said to him. I can't because I feel there's a certain, on his level, obviously every person according to their level, on his level of knowledge, he said, I have a weak heart, which means my heart is not on par with my head. And I don't want to teach in this situation. So what did Rabbi Arminia say to him? Okay, so then let's not, let's not learn, learn halacha. Teach me agadata. Teach me Midrash. What is Midrash? The, in, in, the Alter Rebbe says that most of the secrets of the Torah, most of the esoteric teachings of the Torah are hidden and camouflaged in the Midrash, in the, in the Midrashic teachings. So he was actually giving him a remedy. He told him, if you're having a problem with your heart, if your heart is, is resisting the information, go deeper, go higher. Go, into a, go to a much higher knowledge. And when you go into that, teach me Medrash, that will help. And so what did he answer him? He gave him this very teaching. So Reb Zerah said, yeah, that's a good idea. So he told him that the teaching is man called the tree. The tree is the heart. The man is the mind. But the man is not just the man. When you say the human, the Adam is the, is the human of the human. It's the, it's the, it's the most abstract intelligence. And he's saying, this, this is the teaching. He's saying to him, Man is called a tree. Because sometimes only the man in you, only the most abstraction of mind can influence one's emotions. But here's a very important thing. This is not quick. This is not Tylenol. This is not a quick Advil. This is not a quick fix. This is a way of life. To devote ourselves to higher study, to higher learning. So I make this very practical. The month of Elul has come. And everybody wants to be a little better for Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur. And the, the various different things is what could you do? Of course, you should improve yourselves, uh, ourselves, all of us in our daily living. But how about committing ourselves a little bit to higher study? Instead of sometimes, like sometimes we feel well, we have to change. You know, just, you know, take a few hours a week where you can indulge yourself to lose yourself in higher study, even if you don't necessarily put the dots together of how this is changing you. More than that, if you don't see it's changing you, meaning if the subject matter is not directly hitting you, it's not, it might be better for you. Because if you know that this is changing you, the, 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 the stubbornness of the animal soul of the parts of us might put up a fight. So let it kind of go in from the back like this. Let, let, let yourself become a godly person, not, you know, head on. But let it come in like from the back. And suddenly before you know it, you're like, you're like you're, you as an entire being is different. You don't know where, where, where this new person came about because you've lifted yourself up into a complete different 
headspace. And when your headspace is different, eventually the heart comes along and our and, and we shift and we change and we become completely higher people, better people, more godly people. And then, of course, we're ready to welcome the time of ultimate enlightenment. And one of the things it says about Mashiach is that the true intellect for the sake of intelligence, that's not intellect to refine the emotions, is going to be in Mashiach's Torah. All the Torah we learned till now is considered only the lower Torah, the Torah as it refines emotions. But the real, pure, abstract intelligence is going to come in the teachings of Mashiach. So we should now prepare ourselves to the best we can because that's the elevation that we will experience by Ezra Hashem very, very soon when Mashiach will be here and let it be today.